Okay, everybody, are you ready for a Pastor Steph confession? Always. I have a confession and a commitment to you all today. The confession is the O'Brien family of two has been taking two cars to worship. <laughs> and our commitment is that starting on April 2nd, O'Brien family of two will only take one car to worship. Yes, yeah, slow clap. Slow clap for that. You know, uh, change and transition is a lot, and it always means a change of behaviors and, and change of what we do, and so we're just doing the best we can to kind of be ahead of that. Thank you for taking that time, and uh, I'm serious. Pray for the parking team, okay? We're so grateful for them. They're going to be giving us a lot of, of great tips. Uh, we're in the season of Lent, and so for those of you who maybe Lent is not something you celebrated growing up, what it is is the time in the church calendar, in the season of the church, where we're kind of counting down to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, of his death and resurrection, his conquering death on the cross. This is our countdown time. That's what Lent is all about. And in this season, we are calling this conversation Messiah. We're looking at the very last couple of weeks of Jesus' life in the book of John. Messiah, the word Messiah comes from the Hebrew concept that literally means a anointed one or an anointed king, okay? And so this is what the Jewish community was looking for. They were waiting for this Messiah, this Messiah that was going to come, a king from the line of David who was going to be their savior, the ultimate leader that they'd all been waiting for. And now as we look back on the story, we know that Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting for. And so as we look at the book of John today, we're in the countdown now, one week until Jesus' death and resurrection. All right, you'll see that right as we get into the story today. And as we think about Messiah and the concept of the Messiah in this Lenten season, what I want to invite you into is paying attention to the Jewish culture and the Jewish community. Because Jesus was this Jewish man living in this first century time. And so when we look at his story in the Gospels, we can learn a lot more and have a depth of meaning when we think about how people were experiencing all that was happening as people from this culture and from this community. So this is my invitation to you as we jump in. So the last couple of weeks we've been looking at John 11. This is the story of Jesus weeping and grieving with Mary and Mar Martha, sisters, at the loss of their brother Lazarus. But then also Jesus doing the unexpected and after four days bringing Lazarus back to life. And people were not expecting that. But then we see that Jesus says the reason he did that is very clear. So that God would be glorified, so that people would know that he is the Messiah. And then he says very clearly, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus very clearly states who he is and why he came in that part. So we're going to jump into chapter 12. And we're going to see two more unexpected things that Jesus does in the story and ha that happen in the story. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12. And before we start at the very beginning of that chapter, I actually want to skip ahead to verse 16. I want you to just imagine with me, listen to this passage, this, this one verse, and tell me if you resonate with this, okay, in your life. This is what it says. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. All right, they're going through all this. At first, his disciples did not understand all that was happening. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. So in the moment when everything's going down, when the intensity is happening, they are confused consistently about why and what is happening. It's only after the story, when they look back, that they can understand it. And I want to say that I think this is one of the most relatable comments in the Bible. The comment at first, we did not understand all this. Because that's how I feel so often in life. 
But isn't it also true that sometimes when you look back on life, experiences start to make more sense? It's not that, that everything in life makes sense when you look back in hindsight, but a lot of it does, don't you think, when you think about certain things in your life? When I think I'm back on my life, there's a lot of things that I thought I wanted to happen. But now that I look back, yes, that's what I wanted, but there were other things that I think God knew that I needed in my life. So, for instance, I wanted deeply to be in the studio audience of the, the hit show Home Improvement. Because I thought, yes, because I thought that gave me a chance to have my eyes lock with my love, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and he would know that I was the one for him. This is something that I desperately wanted. Some of you are too young to know why this picture means so much to me. That's fine. But even though it's what I wanted, God knew that is not what I needed, okay? All right, so then skip forward a few more years. I am deep into my next love, which was hockey. I was a hockey player. I was playing hockey 12 months of the year all the time, and I had this want to get a D1 scholarship to play at the University of Minnesota and to be a golden golfer. All right, this was this dream, and it was what I wanted. But God knew that was not what I needed. God also knew that there was no way I was going to be athletic enough to actually play D1 hockey except for sitting on the bench. That was also true. It's what I wanted, but it's not what God knew that I needed in my life. And those are funny, but as life gets, goes on, isn't there deeper things that you experience in life? I think about later in my life, maybe you can think about yours, uh, God knew that the, the guy that I dated before my husband, J.D., was not the right guy for me. And I'll tell you that a failed engagement is not what I wanted. But God knew that it was what I needed. So maybe you can think about that in your life. What are the things that have happened where you look back and you go, man, I wanted that job, but it is not what I needed. Or I wanted that thing we were praying about, or I really cared about this, but it's not what I needed. And I think that God invites us to bring those wants. But if we trust God, if we trust Jesus, we realize that sometimes God knows something else that we need. So as you think about that in your life, it might not all make sense. Hindsight, I know that. But sometimes you can see why and what God was doing. But I think we're often like the disciples. In the moment, we say, at, at first we do not understand all this. Like, what is going on? But later, they would understand. In the moment, in this story, as we walk through the story together, you're going to see that it wasn't what they thought should happen. Like, what was, they were experiencing with Jesus is not what they had wanted to come from this. In fact, I would say that at this moment, in some of these very confusing stories, they must have thought, this is, Jesus is not the leader that we wanted. But he was the leader that they needed. And you'll see that so clearly in the story. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed king, the supreme leader above all leaders that they were waiting for. But in this story, you'll see that the disciples and others in the story, Jesus isn't the leader that they want, but he is the leader that they need. And I think this is true for us today. Jesus is not always the leader that we want, but he is the leader that we need. And so let's look at this passage today. We're going to look at the original context. And then as we look at that, we'll think about how that applies to us today and how we engage as Jesus followers in our lives. So if you look at John 12, we'll have it up on the screen. Again, this story, uh, I'll read the first unexpected event. This is happening right after uh, John 11, where Jesus has brought Lazarus back to life. So here we go, John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. So he's back there where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So there's Lazarus' sister, Martha. Then Mary, Lazarus' other sister, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this, John's, John's commentary, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he had put into it, what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's stop right here in this first unexpected experience. So as you think about this, this moment, Mary pours out this extravagant perfume oil that's very valuable. Scholars believe that it was probably from northern India or Saudi Arabia, so it had traveled to where they are. It was very expensive. This is an over-the-top thing to do, no question. If you had like a royal person in your midst, you would maybe anoint their head. But here she's anointing his feet and getting down on her knees and wiping his feet with her hair, which would be considered scandalous for a woman to do at this time. But she's so overcome with wanting to honor Jesus. Scholars believe that that kind of pint, it's 12 ounces worth of oil, probably about that. Okay, so this is an expensive amount and a lot of oil. So I, I brought a prop with me. I brought an essential oil. All right, some of you have seen these, right? I know you have. Come on, just be honest. This is uh, frankincense. And just for context, this is not even a half of an actual ounce. So this was a lot of this perfume oil. Think about that. Just poured out. And so as these people are in this room, this is like a whole body sensory experience. I mean, if I poured out this frankincense, somebody would be upset because of the, even the cost of this. But you'd smell it. Like you'd smell it all around here because of the... So just imagine in this room, 12 ounces of this perfume filling the room so their eyes are seeing something that they can't possibly believe. They're, they're pouring out. The smell is filling the room. It's this whole sensory experience in this room. And then Judas objects, saying that this could have been sold to give to the poor. But hey, notice, it wasn't for sale, Judas. Like, that wasn't on the table, first of all. And then we see John make it clear that that is not why Judas was interested in giving it to the poor. He was stealing from the common purse. When Jesus says that you'll always have the poor with me or with you, what he's saying is, is not, he's not saying the poor don't matter. He's saying that you'll always, if you're following me, have people who have less than you with you because of your heart and what you care about. And I think Jesus is saying here, but I'm here with you right now because you're going to care for the poor for a long time because of me. But it starts with Jesus. And from that relationship, you have what it takes to pour out to people around you with needs. But it starts with that relationship with Jesus. And here Jesus is showing that a Jesus-centered life is about the poor but starts with him. So here in this moment, Mary has anointed Jesus, the Messiah, 
the anointed king, right there. There's that description, the anointed king. A king would be anointed when they stepped into leadership, maybe at their coronation or something like that. But Jesus also makes it clear that there's a dual purpose, isn't there? Jesus is also receiving the oils and the spices that, and the perfume that would often be used for a body before its burial. So there is a dual purpose for this anointing here. Of course, now we know that this first unexpected story, uh, because I read it earlier, the disciples did not understand all this, right? They're there and they're experiencing this. But wonder with me, in hindsight, as they looked back, maybe as John has written this down, and some of those who were there in that perfume-filled room, and they read the story or they hear John's description of the story, how many of them wished, in hindsight, that they would have been on the floor next to Mary, worshiping Jesus, if they had known what was going to happen just days later? How many of them thought about that moment and the smell returned and the sights returned, and they wished they were there with Mary worshiping Jesus. Jesus wasn't the kind of leader that they thought they wanted in that moment, but Jesus was the leader that they needed. What kind of leader do we see the people wanting Jesus to be at this point in the story? I'd say Judas and likely others, they thought this is not sensible. Like what Jesus is doing is not rational. To waste a year's wages on the feet of a rabbi, why would Jesus condone this? It's so over the top. And now this woman is wiping his feet with her hair, of all things. They wanted a leader who was sensible in this moment. But Jesus is extravagant. Yes, extravagant in the reception of this gift that Mary is offering to him. She is being extravagant in this moment, obviously. But let me just say, Jesus is the one who is extravagant. He is the one who is God in human flesh coming down to show the humanity his love, to give up everything out of that love, to prove that death could be conquered, and that's how deeply Jesus loves us. Jesus is the one who's extravagant in this story. Mary is just echoing that. They wanted a leader who was sensible, but Jesus is extravagant. And then we see that little sidebar comment in, in verse 9 and 10. You remember that? Whenever you hear, meanwhile, I always think it's interesting. Meanwhile, ooh, what was happening? Meanwhile. Meanwhile, the crowds are gathering. They've heard what Jesus did and how he brought Lazarus back to life. And the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the religious court of the Jewish community, are threatened by that. Now, before we jump to judgment, I just want us to remember the Jewish community was an oppressed people group. They were not in power. Rome was in power. And so earlier in, in John 11, it says they were scared of the Roman oppressive government and how if this Jesus guy got out of control, then they were going to pay the price. And so we see here that they are religious leaders who are threatened and not only threatened by Jesus, but now by Lazarus. And so they, they plot to kill Lazarus as well. This is like the most terrible case of destroying the evidence ever. But that's what they want to do. What kind of leader does the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court, want Jesus to be? They want him to be a rabbi who won't upset the religious status quo. That's what they want. But Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed king who was about to flip the religious status quo on its head. That's what he was about to do. And that is what they needed. They couldn't see that that was the leader that they truly needed because of their rigid religiosity. And because of their understandable fear, and because of the loss of control that it caused them to want Jesus to be different. He's not the leader that they wanted in that moment. The second unexpected thing happens then. 
Let's read on it in chapter 12. We'll start again at verse 12. Right the next day, the great crowd had come for the festival, the Passover festival. Remember, this is just before the festival. People have come to Jerusalem for the festival. And they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. There it is, right? Why is he on the donkey? Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So this story, the second unexpected event is one that we often celebrate on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. Uh, The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the crowd is shouting, Hosanna, which means save us, deliver us. Just days later, some of those same people in that same crowd would be yelling, crucify him. Days later. What kind of leader did they want? What kind of leader did the crowds want? It's very clear in this story that many of them wanted a military king in this moment. The anointed king from the line of David who's going to march into the city, who's going to gather the troops and take on Rome, their oppressor. Palm branches were a common national symbol at that time for them in Judea. And so they're waving, I mean, just picture this. They're waving this national symbol around, yelling, deliver us, save us, to this guy who some of them have never seen before as he comes riding into the city. Jesus, save us, raise up as a, as a mighty warrior. And I imagine there was confusion as Jesus rode in on a donkey. I imagine people were like, I think this is supposed to be a noble steed, but it's not. But it's okay. As long as he's going to take out the oppressor, as long as he's going to take out our enemies, maybe we're okay with the donkey. Like, let's just go with it. I feel like that would be the case if you so desperately wanted that freedom. Rome was just the oppressor of the hour, you guys. I mean, there was going to be others. There had been others. There's going to be others. Like, what's new? But that's all they could think about is how they wanted that freedom. The kind of leader that they wanted was a military king that would take out their enemies. And Jesus did come to set them free. But holistically, not from the oppressor of the hour. Jesus did come to be one who would set them free from the brokenness of the world. To give them a new life now and in eternity. Jesus wouldn't do this with angry military force. But literally the opposite. He would do it by laying down his life out of love. In fact, riding that donkey was very intentional. Of course, you see here uh, the prophet Zechariah is quoted that uh, years before Jesus that the king would ride in on a donkey. But even more so, a donkey is sometimes called a burden beast. Maybe you've heard this before, a burden beast or a burden animal. Why is a donkey called that? Because their purpose in life was to carry a heavy load. And so Jesus, I mean, as a grown man, was probably a heavy load on this donkey. But not only physically, but emotionally, Jesus is carrying the heaviest load of all, the brokenness of the world upon himself. And so the symbol of him riding this burden animal as one who is carrying the burden for the world is so deep. They wanted this powerful military leader to take out their enemies. But Jesus was a servant leader, anointed as king here in this story, who would choose to surrender his power and to lay down his power. And so this story, these these stories, amongst so many others in the gospel, show the disconnect 
between what people wanted and who Jesus came to be. And so while we can look back and we see the hindsight bias, it makes sense sometimes to see how there was confusion. Jesus wasn't always the leader they wanted, but he was the leader that they needed. The disciples were confused in that moment, like it said. But eventually they had the hindsight bias to understand. We have the opportunity now to look back at the story thousands of years ago and to understand it differently, to see what they can now see of who Jesus was and what he was about. But let's be honest, we still struggle with this. We still struggle with wanting Jesus to be a leader that we want and not always the leader that we need in our lives. I know I'll be the first one to admit it. We still struggle with this. Sometimes we want the sensible leader. Sometimes we want the status quo leader, if we're, if we're being honest. And sometimes, maybe even in our darkest moments, we want the leader who's going to take out our enemies because we're so filled with anger. But I think there's even more than that. I started thinking about this this week, and my husband, J.D., and I were talking about it, and I was like, what is the kind of leader that I know I sometimes want Jesus to be and other people want Jesus to be? So I'm just going to warn you, these are kind of like personas or caricatures of what I think sometimes we want Jesus to be, but I think you'll get my point. Sometimes I think we hope for genie Jesus, all right? Genie Jesus, because I got some wishes here, and maybe if you're out there, then some of those things can come true. Now, of course, it's silly to think about it, but how often do we just want Jesus to be the leader that's going to give us what we want and what we wish for? I think it's okay to bring our wishes to Jesus and our wants, but Jesus is not a genie who's just far, far away hoping that someday we'll ask for a wish. How about blueprint Jesus? If Jesus could just give us a blueprint for life, that would really help, wouldn't it? I know we got a lot of engineers out here. You're like, can someone give me the drawing? Can somebody give me the blueprint? Because then we can do this thing. I resonate with that. We want blueprint Jesus because we hate uncertainty. We just want to know if there's a blueprint that could really help us out. All right, how about this one? Lazy boy Jesus, all right? La la okay, Gen Z, that is a recliner that was really popular in like the 90s. I think they're still, are they still out there besides the ones in our basements? They still sell those. Okay, so lazy boy Jesus. We want a cozy reclining relationship of rest where we don't have to be uncomfortable. And I do think Jesus invites us into rest and restoration, but we recognize that we want this comfort all the time. And I don't think we should feel ashamed about that. Life is challenging, isn't it? Life is uncomfortable. Life is full of things that make us uncomfortable, so I think sometimes it makes sense that we just want following Jesus to be the easy part, the comfortable part, and we want lazy boy Jesus. All right, how about this, handyman Jesus? Handyman Jesus, we call handyman Jesus when something's broken and we can't fix it. Now, we might have already tried to fix it, which probably made it worse. But now we're calling handyman Jesus to come and fix the thing that we made worse. And we, and we call on Jesus in these moments when we've made a mistake or we need something to be fixed. All right, two more. Hometown Jesus. All right, hometown Jesus. We want Jesus to be on our side of the aisle, on our bench, cheering for our team. We want Jesus to be the one who is going to support our political party or our side of the debate. We want Jesus to be the one that would march for what we would march for and be against what we are against. No questions asked. Hometown Jesus. It's tempting. Okay, here's the last one. Thumbs up Jesus. And some of you know I avoided a picture on the screen that did not need to be on the screen. There's a Jesus with the thumbs up. So this is just a, a regular thumb, okay? That Jesus is real Caucasian. He's not going on the screen. So we just got the thumb. He was Jewish. We talked about that right up front. All right, so thumbs up. 
Thumbs up Jesus, this is the Jesus who we invite into our life after the decision's already made and we're looking for a validating thumbs up. Not like, Jesus, what are you doing and how can I be a part of what you're doing? But hey, Jesus, this is what I'm doing. Would love your thumbs up on this. <laughs> Would love your validation on this. It's also hard, and I'm, I'm with you, man. This is so challenging for us. When we get new information or when the Spirit's trying to teach us something, isn't it so hard to have to question what we've always thought? And what we've always held on to and always believed. But the Spirit is always doing something new and, and wanting us to grow and expand and learn. And we're just like, no, no, no. Can't I just think what I've always thought and get thumbs up Jesus to be okay with it? Because it's hard, isn't it, to consistently grow and to be stretched. So I'm going to just be the first to admit there are times in my life when all of these, all of the above, I have wanted Jesus to be. Maybe even this week one of them. But handyman Jesus and blueprint Jesus, this may be the leader that I want or that you want. And maybe even the reasons for that are real good. But it's not the leader that we need. We need Jesus to be the leader that he shows us that he is in this story. The leader that confused the disciples, but in hindsight they knew he was the leader that they needed. He isn't a genie granting wishes or giving out blueprints. He's a leader who knows you and wants to be known by you, who wants to go through your everyday life with you and, and by the power of the Spirit, guide you step by step. That's what following Jesus is, not a list of right and wrong. And, and then, through that step by step, you get the thing that you deepest desire while we share our heart's desire with Jesus. That's okay. At the end of the day, he says, what you really desire is me and a relationship with me forever. Jesus isn't lazy boy Jesus, right? Wanting us to be comfortable all the time. Jesus wants to empower us to live as his disciples. You can't have comfort zone and empowerment at the same time. They don't go together. It doesn't mean that there's not space for comfort. But when we step into empowerment to follow Jesus' lead, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Jesus invites us to live out his words and his works and his ways and follow his lead. And it will not always be comfortable. But Jesus says in John 10.10, I came so that you could have life to the full. And this is what Jesus wants for us. Jesus isn't hometown Jesus or thumbs up Jesus validating what we're already going to do. He loves us too much for that. Do you understand? Like he loves us too much for us to stay where we're at. He wants to lead us into places that are very vulnerable sometimes, aren't they? Because of healing. Because he wants more for our minds and our hearts than the brokenness and sin that have held us back from what he wants for us. He wants life to the full for us. Emotionally and spiritually, he wants to heal us from brokenness. Jesus is the kind of leader who chases us down when we run off. And one of the reasons we run and hide for most of us is shame. And that is not what this leader wants for us. And so he's the kind of leader who is going to be there believing in us when we don't believe in ourselves. He loves us just as we are, yet he isn't okay with our status quo of just being held back from all that God created us to be. He's the kind of leader who never gives up on those that he loves. Jesus gave up everything so that we could be forgiven and free. Extravagant. That is an extravagant leader, isn't it? The kind of leader that we need. He took all the burden of the brokenness as he rode that burden animal into Jerusalem and he went to Jerusalem and he didn't turn back before he took his last breath and conquered death. Jesus is the kind of leader we need in life. So I would suggest, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a student of leadership. Maybe some of you are too. I love learning about 
human leaders, and the ones that are alive today that teach really interesting things. And I love learning about leaders of the past and, and, and reading about them and the people who have gone before us. I think at times we all long for like a guru, don't we? Like our, our leader that we can follow and say, I ascribe to this person's way of being and be a follower of this person. And there's part of me, if I'm being real, that wants to find the humans that have cracked the code of, of leadership, right? And then be like, what did they do? And how do we do what they did? And I have found some people that I think are worth following in some way. But they all fall short of the leadership that Jesus offers. All of them. And as a human leader myself, I just feel the pull to be the leader that people want. The leader that I want to be, right? I want to be so confident. I want to have certainty. I want to look at all of you and say, look, I know there's a lot to fear in the world, but it's going to be okay. But it's not always okay, is it? And I can't tell you that. I want to be someone who can say, it's going to be fine. But if I let my mind and my heart go deep enough into thinking about this year and going into 2024 and beyond, I feel just the depth of all that we might struggle with. And I'm like, blueprint Jesus, please, right now, could we have a plan? Could we know what's going to happen? And I want the blueprints for all of you as I sit with you and listen to your hearts and what's going on in your life. I know like myself and Pastor Becky and Pastor Donna, we just want to give you the blueprint. Here it is. But we can't. We can't give you that blueprint, even though we want to. I wish that we had that. I, I can't promise blueprint Jesus or genie Jesus, but I want to. I want to be sure. Here's a big one. Right now, I want to be sure that all the changes that we're going through as a community and all of the transition, it is all going to be good. It's all going to be for the best. It's not going to be too hard or too uncomfortable. It's not going to stretch us. It's going to be good. I can't promise that, can I? I can't give lazy boy Jesus. I know that's not who Jesus is. I think about all the events that are happening in the world right now, and I want to say things like, listen, it's been rough, but the worst is behind us. I can't tell you that. Yeah, there's been a lot that's happened, but when I look at the economy and the violence and the war and the contentious political mayhem that's happened and I look forward, I cannot promise anything to you about that future. I want to offer certainty. I want to tell you that it's going to be fine. But I don't have any more certainty than any of you or any of those gurus, no matter what they or we try to say. We don't have it. I can't give you certainty, but I can give you this. Assurance. I can offer to you the assurance that Jesus has offered to me that he is with us and that he is the leader that we need no matter what happens. I can say to you that I have assurance that Jesus celebrates in your deepest joys and weeps over your deepest pains. I can assure you of that. We can have assurance that when the kingdoms of the world, I often call them the little kingdoms, when the little kingdoms of this world are at war and they're raging against each other in anger, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, he is on the throne of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that that's the kingdom that we're invited to receive and that's the kingdom that Jesus says is ours. And in the midst of all the little kingdoms, some doing some good things, right? But in the midst of all of them, they're led by human leaders. We can be assured that Jesus will show us day by day a different way to live than the kingdoms around us. To live Jesus-centered lives. Lives free from shame. Lives that are forgiven. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to join in what God is doing in the world. Bringing restoration right around us in our midst. Jesus isn't the leader everyone wanted or thought he would be. 
He's a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. He is the leader that we truly need. The leader that we truly need. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to say this. Whatever you're facing this week, whatever, whatever we as a church are facing, whatever we as a world are going to face as we go into the future and the things that we might face, Jesus is the leader that we need. Sometimes people tease me, mostly Pastor Ashish, about how my sermons always end the same. So here it is again, surrendering to Jesus. Okay, I know, I know, classic. But we got to do it. (laughs) If that's the best thing you can do every week, that's the best thing you can do every day, is to say to Jesus, to the best of my ability, I want to follow you as my leader. When we say Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, Lord means leader. Jesus, save me. Hosanna, that's some days, right? And lead me. Be the leader that I need. Surrender So come what may, with Jesus as our leader, we will have the assurance that we will never be alone and our future hope is that all things will be made new and that Jesus wants to lead us and guide us every day until then. So I just want to pray over us as we go into this time of worship and communion that we can receive the leadership that Jesus offers to us and choose to follow. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for these people. You know them so deeply. You know them better than they know themselves. Jesus, you are the leader that we need. Forgive us for when we don't believe that. Thank you for being a God that we can bring our wants and our hopes and our wishes to, but also being the God that knows even more so and deeper what we need. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Help us to let go and to surrender to your leadership in our lives. Empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you one day at a time. Set us free from the shame that just follows us everywhere we go so that we can actually live into your kingdom and join you in your work. Jesus, thank you for what you've done and how you accomplished everything on the cross necessary for us to live forgiven and free with you now and forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.